it's just a few minutes to 12. Um, great. So last week, uh, started in, we started a new series called Fake News. This week, we're continuing it. Last, last week, we looked at uh, the lie that I am lonely, um, and then the truth that actually we're, we're never alone. Um, so um, if you receive the newsletter, you'll have got a short summary. Well, I say short summary. I tried to keep it short, but it, it, it turned into a bit of an epic. Um, uh, and so this week, we're looking at the the lie that we often believe is that we are weak. Now, a little bit of a caveat to that because there are some theological things that we need to kind of grapple with when we use that term, you know, I am weak or I am not weak because there's some stuff that Paul says that actually is really helpful for us understanding who we are and who Jesus is. But sometimes we feel like, I don't know whether, well, maybe that's just me. Do you ever feel like you just get stuck? You're trying really hard, but you're just getting nowhere. Yeah, a few of you. Yeah, okay. So like, but the particular thing maybe that you, you, you're kind of grappling with and you just never seem to be able to get a breakthrough. There's, I think, that, yeah, there's a, maybe a few. Right, so last, I'm trying to think, how can I paint this image of what this might look like? So last, uh, I can't remember, those, was, when did we have that really bad snow spell? Was it towards the end of last year or was it early this year? So towards the end of last year, that, that really bad snow um, um, a few days where the snow fell really heavily. Anyway, uh, Rachel and I and the kids um, uh, were out for a walk on uh, on Knights Lane, and there was this car right that was coming out of a side street that had obviously got so far, um, but was giving it big licks with the accelerator and the wheels, and it was just spinning, you know, just spinning, 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 like. Uh, they, they, the car was trying really hard. You could see the frustration on the driver's face. Like, it was just like, what am I doing? I can't get anywhere. And this like, movement felt like they were, they were going to be stuck there until the snow had melted. Um, trying really hard. Now, she was about, the I said she. I wasn't going to say a she. <laughs> it didn't have to be Alan. I wasn't going to say a she. Um, anyway, this, this poor lady, she was, um, she was doing all the things. Obeying the rules of the road and all of that, but actually she was just in, she was in the wrong gear. She didn't have the momentum. She didn't have the sense of, but she was trying really hard. She was just stuck. Now, until some, some kind people came along and gave a little bit of a, a shove to get her going, getting past that moment. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not going there. <laughs> um, she would have been stuck there for ages. But it was only until somebody else came along and go, like, there you go. That was, was the breakthrough. And so I think so. what I'm going to speak into today is that moment where we feel like we're stuck. We feel like we're weak. We are never going to be able to get past this particular thing. Over the course of ministry and life, you know, I've, I've spent time with, um, with lots of people talking through some of their, their stuff. Often young guys who have, I'm not because of the young years, I'm not going to go into those. But you can imagine some of the things that young, young guys um, will, will struggle with and battle with and seemingly never get a breakthrough, never be able to come through. I think there's a number of reasons for that. But I, th- I think this idea of weakness, we can get caught in that this is my lot. This is it. So how do we begin to live a life that enables us to break through some of those things? I think the Apostle Paul actually has some, some really helpful things to say. It's also quite complicated, some of his writing. Anybody else find the Apostle Paul's writing quite complicated to understand? 
yeah? Backward and forward, here and there, especially when you dive into the book of Romans. So um, we'll probably, we'll maybe do a series at some point through the book of Romans, and we'll use, there's a, there's a book called, um, book by a guy called Andy Ollerton, uh, which I've just started to look into. There's a really helpful journey through the book of Romans. Um, so we'll, we'll look to, to deal with this in, in greater depth at some point, no doubt. But um, just, just let me read some verses from um, Romans chapter uh, 7. And I want you, just in these short verses, count how many times um, Paul uses the, the word law. Okay. Um, so verse 14. What we know that the law, uh, sorry, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the, that the law is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good is with, with me, but there is no ability to do it. Anybody else going, yes, I know what you're on about, Paul? Okay. I know the, the, the inability to, to do it. Sorry. Uh, now, if I, do not, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is a sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Wow. Like, we, to be honest, this, the, the, we could spend a whole long time just trying to unpick what Paul's getting at. So I, for the purpose of this morning, I just want to draw out a few things that will, I think will be helpful for us in addressing this lie that we are weak and we can't break through stuff. But Paul is, just some context, Paul is addressing a congregation made up of Jew and Gentile. He's laid the groundwork for the sinfulness of human condition in chapters 1 to 3. He's also laid out the good news of how we find peace with God in chapters 4 to 5. In chapters 6 to 7, he tells us how the gospel deals with sin and how we are powerless to save ourselves through keeping the law. Okay, so for the, for the Jewish readers, they would go, ah, Torah, ah, the law of Moses. So we understand that the whole law of Moses, and we also recognize, Paul, what you're saying is that we cannot and have not been able to keep the law in our own power and own strength. In fact, we're getting stuck. So Paul's saying, this is the reality, is nobody... Because in, in Romans 3.23, for those of you who, who have done the sword drills, what does Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All sin. So Paul's saying, regardless of whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, every single one of us is, is sinful and has no ability to attain salvation through, uh, through the works of, of trying to achieve the, the fulfillment of the, of the law or by any other means. So no wonder you're feeling stuck. 
Now, is Paul addressing believers or unbelievers? Is Paul, who's, who's he addressing in this point? Believers, absolutely. Because he's saying, because he's, the reason he's addressing believers is because he's saying there's a desire to do what God wills. If there is no desire to do what God wills, then what are you? An unbeliever. Because you're not bothered about what God thinks because you don't even believe that God think, believes, live, uh, is alive anyway. So the, he's addressing uh, believers who are stuck, who feel like they're weak, who feel like they're never going to be able to break through because of the power and the grip of sin. Now, is Paul saying that the law is bad? Not at all. He's actually saying the law is really good. And, and earlier on he goes, how would I understand what sin is except from the law? So the law in itself is holy and good. The law in itself, though, is powerless to save. The law in itself is powerless to enable us to break through the things that grip our hearts. Why? Because Paul is in this passage is saying the power of sin is so great. The power of sin within us, the flesh, the ego, the self-centeredness, the things that we want to do in and of ourselves is so powerful that we, it, the law is not able to counteract that. No matter how you, how you try, no matter how much we try, it's never going to be able and powerful enough to be able to, to liberate us. But he's addressing people who are regenerate. People who say, God, I love you and I want to serve you. The desire is to serve you. Just how do we break free from this moment? How do we get out of this being stuck? How do we get out of this weakness that we cannot move beyond it? And I think that's maybe where when Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses this of the Pharisees, it's pointless. Because it's the Pharisees, what were the Pharisees trying to do? chain the look, keep keep the law, attain to the law. Were they, did they have good motivation behind that? I think they did. Often, and, and sometimes we rightly have a go at the Pharisees, but actually the motivation was we want to please God. We want to do what's right, and we want everybody else to do what's right, but they just heaped a load of laws on people that were never able to keep. So, so Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. So there are some scholars that say, well, how we can't believe that this is the Apostle Paul who's writing this, uh, a, man of, a man of God, a man of great stature. Now, I think Paul, Paul is, is addressing issues that he will have faced and no doubt still faced. Because there were things that, that were common to man that we all, we, we all have to work through. And I don't know about you, but the longer that I walk with Jesus, the more I, need, I recognize my need of him. The more I walk with Jesus, the more I recognize the, the, the depth of, of sin and the depth of things that need to be reconciled to God and brought and changed by God and broke, released by the power of God. There's, there's no, you know, so the, the more we go, the more we become aware of, of just the, the depth of our need of, of God's, God's work and his grace. The things I, things I want to do, I don't do. Now, does that mean that we, are, we remain powerless and that is just the way that we go? Well, Thankfully not, because I think, there's, I think there's a, Paul outlines in chapter 8, what the life we have in him. So all the way up until this point, he's been addressing the challenges of sin, the challenges of humanity and flesh and what we face. 
He's, he's out, laid out the gospel, the gospel, the power of God that is for salvation. The passages that I read earlier in chapter 5, that's the gospel news. That, w- that Christ died for us. When we were enemies, when we were far off, Christ died for us and brought us into relationship with him. So chapter 8 is, uh, is magnificent. If you've, uh, you've read it lately, that, I'd encourage you to read it again this afternoon. Um, but just sit with it for a little while. Because it, it, it's the hinge point of the book of Romans. It's, it's, uh, Andy Ollerton describes it as the summit. So all the way from one, 1 to 7, it's been like the journey through to the summit of salvation, of the point where we get to understand and realize that we are free. So shall we read Romans 8? Okay. Now, I'm going to start reading it, and I may stop at a certain point, and then we'll co- I'll come back into a bit, but I may just read it all. Is that all right? Okay. Settle in. Therefore, in light of all that has gone before, not just chapter 7, but all that he's written, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of, this, uh, the, law of the spirit of life, now, sorry, just let me pause. I, I want you to count how many times Paul says law, uh, sorry, spirit. Previously done the law. So in the law, in chapter 7, I think in 27 verses, he says it 19 times. And he mentions the spirit once in chapter 6. Right, so chapter 7, law, 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 spirit once. Chapter 8, count how many times he says the spirit. So where was I? Chapter 2. Verse 2, sorry. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Did you get that? So what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemns sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to The flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of God, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, 
then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Are you with me so far? So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For, those, for all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies to, together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be uh, may also be glorified with him. Are you still with me? For I consider that the suffering of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the, crea- for the creation eagerly awaits and anticipates for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom that God's children, uh, of, God, uh, of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is, not, uh, that, is, that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. Because we do not know what to pray for we, uh, or as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction 
or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through, through him who loved us. All things, not some things. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I mean, really, we could just stop and allow us to meditate upon the verses that we find in these verses. Did anybody actually manage to count how many times the Spirit was mentioned? 21, or near. 22. There's actually over 30 times in this chapter that the Spirit is mentioned. 30 times. Saturated with the Spirit. So if we want to know what it, what it means to move out of the stuckness, the, the weakness that I cannot break through, Paul has, a, a, has something to say about that. Now, how do we do it? Impossible in our own ability, but what's Paul saying? It's possible. Why is it possible? Because of Spirit. Because of the Spirit. There is no way in our own power and own might we can break through the, the stronghold of sin in our lives. But Paul, saturating chapter 8 with the Spirit, says, That's true, but this is truer. Yes, in our weakness, because the, the, there is a truth that we are weak. We aren't able to conquer the, the stuff within us in our own power. I, impossible. But because we are no longer ours, but Christ lives in us, we are able to overcome the power of sin within us. Why? Because Christ dwells in us. <clears throat> and I think, and this is from some, my own experience, I think the reason we fail to break through some of those issues is because we feel like this is our lot. And we don't realize and recognize that when we were buried with Christ, that is our old life gone. We are, sin's power is broken. It is dead. Paul said actually in, in chapter 8, we are not obligated to go along with the things of the flesh. We don't have to do that. We just choose to do that. It comes down to choice, actually. It comes, what am I focusing my attention on? Okay, so there are, there are a number of things in the next few minutes I, I'm going to just draw out and highlight the truths which eat up the lie that you are weak. So first of this, first it starts with a therefore. It's the insight that Paul had. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. done so when we feel that condemnation coming when we feel like oh this is, I'm, I, this is my lot this is it I'm done I'm dumped for how can I be a child of God all those little whispers that go on in our mind or is that is that just me like how how can you know the, the lie that goes how can you live that way and you be a Christian you say you're a Christian how can you do those things anybody else Right, So there, there are lies that say, well, you can never break free. But Paul is saying, actually, therefore, there is no condemnation for Christ. Because you didn't save yourself in the first place, you can't go on to save yourself in the second place. 
So he said, Paul writes to the Galatians, Why you, you, were you, how did you come to faith? Was it not by the Spirit? Then you continue in the Spirit. Well, that's what he's saying. So we are, we are, because if Christ lives in us, we are made new. And sin's, uh, sin's power has been broken because he's resident in us. And we have, a ch- we have choices to make. So there's justification. Oh, we love, love a theological word, don't we? Justification, right? So that, as Paul's been saying in the preceding chapters, we are justified through faith alone by putting our trust in Jesus. His finished work, we are justified. Therefore, no condemnation. We are clothed in the righteousness and the robe of Christ. So when he looks at us, he sees Christ. He sees Christ's finished work upon the cross. So there's no condemnation. And then the Spirit, Paul says in, in, in chapter 8, he's the one that sanctifies us. Another theological word that we just love to get in every now and again. It just mean, it means that process of tra- transformation, that change. His active work in us to free us from sin and to conform us to the image of Jesus. So it's the work of the Spirit. But there is no condemnation. Now, if we are stuck... If we're stuck in that point, now the invitation this morning is to believe the gospel. The invitation this morning isn't to try harder. The invitation isn't to keep the wheels of the car spinning when it's stuck on ice. The invitation this morning is to go, actually I believe Jesus, you've broken the power of this thing and I'm going to choose to live into that freedom, not to earn the freedom, but because you've already brought it. It's a shift of perspective. That I now have the power of Christ resident within me. So I know. So when he does say the, the things that we do that we don't want to do, it's, it's the power of, the, of sin within us conflicting with that new man, that com, inner conflict that we're all aware of. But if we're aware of it, we begin. We can begin to change it in partnership with the Spirit. So if that's you this morning, then the invitation is to believe that Jesus' death and resurrection was enough to break the power of sin in your life if he's resident in you. Second thing is this. Free. Free from the law of sin and death. Look at verse 2. It's interesting that he uses the term law of sin and death, like like relating the law to to sin and death. And and so he's saying that actually if we try to keep the law in our own power, and I say there's only one pathway that that's going to go because we're never going to be able to keep it. Fail to keep any, I think it's James who says, fail to keep any, but any part of the law, you fail to keep it all. So Christ is our, fulfills all righteousness. And because Christ is in us, we're able to live out of that freedom in him. That he satisfied the righteous requirements of the, of the law. We get to live out of that. Now, is the law, is the law helpful? Yeah, actually, I think God writes his law on our hearts. I think when the spirit comes to live in us, he begins to, to, to write it so that we go, actually, I no longer want to live that way. I no longer want to do that. I no longer want to be that. Lord, help me to, get, to, to overcome this because I recognize your power is broken. So help me to walk into freedom. And so take it as a good thing. If you're feeling that sense of conviction, that sense of, oh, maybe, maybe there's some stuff now this morning. They go, oh, God, you need to, I want you to change in me. Don't, don't sit under condemnation. Walk into freedom. Walk into freedom. Because that's the invitation this morning. Second, uh, third thing is this. We have a mindset shift. 
It's really interesting that the mindset. So it's not like you think your way into salvation. It's not like, oh, I've just had a nice idea and changing my thinking will get me into that. No. When we come to faith in Christ, he makes us new. He gives, and we have the mind of Christ. Gives us an ability to think and see the way that Christ operates. Now, imperfectly, because we're human and we're on that process of sanctification. But he does a work in us. That means that we, have, we, we now have a new way of thinking. Because we're now aware of the things that were, were contrary to God's law. Not, and so don't try and solve it in our own. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to submission to the Spirit and allow breakthrough to come. Because we've got a new mindset. The mindset is, actually, in Christ, I am, I'm going to get to my last point now. Um, I am more than a conqueror. So I, I am weak. Oh, yeah. No, the mindset is I'm more than a conqueror. And this is why I'm more than a conqueror. Not because I have anything to bring on my own power, but because of him who lives in me. So we have mindset shifts. The thing that you've been wrestling with this morning no longer needs to have the power it's had over you. Since power is broken because of Jesus. I've lost track of what am I a fourth thing, fifth thing, fourth, fifth, fourth. I'm not going to number it anymore. Um, we, are, we are given life by the Spirit and strength in verse 11. Life by the Spirit and strength through the Spirit to live the life that He has purposed us to live. We receive His life. We receive His victory. Verse 13. We have victory over sin. Verse 14, we are led by the Spirit, and he leads us into life. There's this thing, um, I've been talking to John about this recently. Um, he, call, he calls it biker's gaze, I call it cyclist's gaze. Okay, right, so I suppose you could have a driver's gaze or whatever kind of gaze, but you know that what you look at, you are going to hit. Right, you go in the direction you're looking. So, you know, like on a bike, on a on a, on a a proper bike, John, you know, one that you have to put some work into. <laughs> um, you, um, like, if, if there's a, a, an obstacle that com, comes out, if, I, if you look at it, I'm going to hit it. It's called a cyclist gaze. It's the thing that you focus on, the thing that you get drawn to. The thing that we look at in life will be the thing that we get drawn to. So the, what are we looking at? I, 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 the, the, I think so many of us try to overcome sin's power by looking at the sin. So we go, oh, that's the issue, therefore I'm going to tackle that issue. Wrong gaze. Don't look at the issue because you're going to get drawn to it and it's going to become bigger, it's going to become more powerful and you'll never break it by willpower alone. You've got to shift your gaze. To the one who conquered it all. To the one who leads us in righteousness and holiness. So don't, I don't say don't stress about that. If, you've, if you're stuck in a sin issue, it's serious. But shift your perspective to the one who's able to break it. And he leads you into victory and he'll lead you in strength and he'll lead you into life. And then verse 16, he says this, the spirit gives us assurance of our adoption. So 
the lie, I am weak, I am not accepted, I am not valued, all of that, it's done because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Verse, uh, then verse 26, the Spirit, Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and he prays for us. Did anybody notice that as we read through that verse, that the Spirit intercedes for us? And then it goes on to say that Jesus intercedes for us. The wonderful thing about these chapters is it demonstrates how the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, are involved and active in salvation and sustaining salvation and bringing us through to new life. He is the God, Father, Son, and Spirit is active in those, uh, in those ways. So how do we begin to shift? And I will come to a, a close in a moment. How do we begin to shift this? Because it's all very well having these truths read out and go, this is, this is who we are, but how do we do it? Well, actually, I think it comes by us shifting our attention and, focus, and reordering our priorities. Because the busier we are faffing around in the shallows, we'll never get out into the deep. Now, the shallows, um, uh, uh, John actually put somebody who put me onto this book um, by a guy called John Eldridge um, called Resilience. And I've just read a few snippets of it, but he had these, this breakdown of three things that I think are really quite helpful for us to be able to break through into greater depth of God, a greater sense of freedom that God has for us. He talks about the shallows are being characterized by the rule and ruled by the distractions of life. You know, those, those minor things that are not bad, they're just kind of distractions that get in the way. The things that, you know, you're going about your day. I think yesterday we were talking about something and, uh, and my mind went off to something else. It was like, I don't know, oh, don't we live in a beautiful country or something? And then back to the conversation. It's kind of like, it's just easily distracted by things. Anybody else there? Right, so that's, that's life in the shallows. Then he talks about going into the Midlands. And he says, characterized by echoing uh, Jesus' words, the care of the life, the, the deep worries, the heartaches, the longings, the aspirations that occupy the human heart. Things like the health of, health of your aging parents, learning struggles of your children, the status of troubled relationship, the progress of your, of your career or lack thereof, your finances, your own health, your hopes, your fears, uh, the future, the future of your loved ones. This is John Eldridge says, that's the Midlands. They're the things that concern us and zap often a lot of energy they're the things of our prayer they're the things that we sometimes feel like we're never going to break through you could add your own bits into the list but he says actually there's a deeper there's a deeper invitation there's a there's a place that we can go beyond that now all of that stuff by the way is part of life that that's never going to go away it's not like you can go into a monastic order and just live like isolated from all of those other troubles. Life will happen around us and to us. But it seems that John Eldridge puts this, this invitation into a deeper life. The depth, so the depth are characterized and ruled by eternal things like faith, hope, love, joy, to, na to name a few. The prisoner sentenced to con uh, solitary confinement. The parent living out the final days of life in a lonely hospital room. The castaway stranded on a Rome island. All discover that, that what once seemed so important now pales in the light of their longing to see their loved ones one more time. We all have deep in a, a deep inner life, whether we pay attention to it or not. This is, the ve this is very hopeful because we can learn to access it. 
So how do we begin to move through into the, the stuff, I think, of chapter 8, life in the spirit? I, I think it's by pushing through the, the shallows and the midlands into the deeper life. I think it's becoming aware of what's going on in us as we begin to then bring it to a place of surrender to God and allow his spirit to be at work in us as, he, as we partner with him. So how, some of the things I think that can help us go into that, I think Bible reading is, is an important part of that. But not just reading the Bible, but allowing the Bible to read you. Allowing the Bible to, to reveal things of our heart and our character that leads us to the gospel once again, to trust Jesus. Prayer, just being with him. What's the pattern of your week? Is it, is it lived in the shallows and lived in the midlands? Is it, where's, what's the pattern of your week? Are there intentional moments where you're able to go, do you know what? Yes, all of this around me. But I, 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 you're aware of some things going on internally. Where's the moment to step aside and to be with Jesus and to listen to Jesus and to surrender to Jesus afresh? Where are the moments to sit in, in quietness or go out on a walk in solitude or, or share with a confident, this is what's going on, to, get, to enable you and me to come into deeper places in him? Are you acting on what you already know? Or are you waiting for some deeper and further revelation? I think acting on what we know, living out what we know, resting with Jesus in what we know, trusting Jesus with where we are, enables us to walk out into deeper places. Because while we're waiting for some greater revelation or some Jesus to do some things that he's asked us to do, we're never going to get passed into the deeper places. Notice how Paul says, if, you do, if we walk by the Spirit, there's an, an active partnership. There is a coming together, working with him. Live, finally, I think we get to live in the deeper place from freedom, not for freedom. When we go to the deeper place in him, I think we, he brings us through into greater levels of freedom to trust him with all of those things to allow the breakthroughs in our lives to come. So the truth is, are we weak? Yes, we are in and of ourselves. But the greater truth is this, that we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us, who gave his life for us, and he enables us to do this life because he is at work within us. So don't believe the lie. You're not stuck. You're not weak. If you're in Christ Jesus, he, his life is at work in you in order to help you and me to be conformed to his image, to live the life that he's purposed us to live. There are going to be some discussion questions, um, or, or questions to ponder. They'll come up on the screen. You can take a photograph or they'll come out in the new e-news this week. Just take a moment. What's the, what's the thing that the Holy Spirit has been grabbing your attention with this morning? What's that one thing? that you sense him asking you to kind of surrender to him afresh. Pause and then over to John just to lead us out this morning.